What's up, everybody? So the next podcast is a doozy. Um, we get Frank Shamrock on, and Frank and I talk about you know what we're doing today, and about a lot of stuff about our fight, which is amazing. Um, I've learned a lot about Frank, and it's cool. We got to talk to him, so check it out right on. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Yamato Damashi podcast. Today, finally, I've been looking forward to this episode so much. We have on one side of the field, we have Anton Inoue, and on the other side, we have Franz Shamrock. Now, they've met each other in the ring before, but today we're going to do a podcast with them, and we're going to talk about that fight and some other topics as well. I'm super excited. Frank, how are you today? I'm fantastic, man. It's great to see you guys. Thank you. Yeah, we we're awesome. talking about earlier, before we actually started running it, I was talking about how... <clears throat> you know how good shape you're in and you know i i actually was really heavy last year and my back was sore my knee was sore and i actually lost the weight just to get healthier and then i lost the weight i feel good now i feel light but i'm no no way I, in good shape and then when i saw your post on instagram i was like damn that he's in good shape i mean not like in a competitive way like fucking frank is in shape i gotta get in shape it was more like almost like inspiring to me like you know, a lot of the fighters, we get older, we just get sloppy, we don't train as much anymore, and it's like, it's almost like an excuse. I'm old, and in my day, I was in good shape, but you're like living still in good shape. I mean, you I mean, you might, of course, the muscle mass has probably gone down, but you're like probably in better shape than you were before. I mean, when I saw you, and it's like, I just felt like, you know, there's like a little universe telling me, Ensign, um, don't make excuses, man. It's, you know, take have some discipline. Put in some a little hard work, not as hard as before, but a little hard work and get healthy and live a little longer. You know, you have. I wanted to ask you, Frank. You have no injuries on your body, like right. Look at my show. I can't lift my hands up. Oh, you took yeah. care of yourself, huh? Yeah, you know, it's the weirdest thing. Um, I used to dream about fighting every single night when I went to sleep, and so for me, the training never stopped for sixteen years whether I was uh, in the gym or not. Uh, but as soon as I retired, it all went away. Like I don't dream about fighting anymore. Now I dream about business and stuff like that. But occasionally I'll watch fighting and I'll have a fighting dream. And so when I wake up in the morning, I have to remember that I did all that stuff. This is to your question. It's as if it never happened to my body and I just don't have any pain, discomfort. There's nothing wow, crooked, broken. Yeah, I've been, it's, um, I mean, yeah, because everybody else has, you know, got, got lasting injuries and I'm just super blessed. I'm, it's like it literally never happened for me. I think, I think you were just smart, man. You knew your body, you knew what you were doing, your training was good because obviously you're like on the top, you're one of the best in the world and you're in like amazing shape. So you, and, and you know, as, as a fighter, I know. When I see a fighter and I see them in super good shape, whether they take steroids or not, it doesn't matter, man. To you can't get steroids and get big or good, good in good shape. It's a, a lot of hard work, and the hard work takes a toll on your body. So for you to have not not no problems at all, man. I mean, that's such a smart approach, and you know, you 
in the, it's, it's really rare for someone that trained in the old school days where it was overcome pain, don't be a pussy, to be to be in such a good position with your body, man. It's amazing. I'm I'm in the I'm now working on myself trying to get fascia massages and stuff, not to get better, but to just maintain the the motion that I have on my shoulders. I mean, I don't I don't I don't want to go to go into surgery. I'm trying to avoid that, to go under the knife. So man, it's like pretty inspiring, but I mean it's uh I, I just wanted to mention that to you because it kind of inspired me to get back in shape. And that's, that's super cool, man. I thank you for that. Yeah, man. I love it. Well, I'm glad it did. You know, for me, uh, I watched all of, you know, the, the last generation, my mentors and teachers, I watched them all, uh, you know, finish their careers all broken up and be unhappy yeah. and have, you know, be on painkillers and, you know, having to deal with all that pain and stuff. So, you know, when I was younger, I was like, "Ooh, we have to survive this journey and be healthy. Uh, so I tried to put that in front of my training now. And then, you know, it, it's the way I live my life now, because I just don't do anything that causes me pain. Kind of my secret now. <laughs> if it's going to cause pain and discomfort, I'm not a part smart. of it. Just yeah. <laughs> just, smart. I've had plenty of it. Right. And so uh, yeah. hey, and on your shoulders. And so, yeah, one of the things I did um, when I retired, I was really unbalanced. I had a lot of overdevelopments and just weird uh, muscular yeah. structures that came from, from all that training. And so the thing I found was the active release technique, which is the uh, myofascial massage through range of motion. And so definitely mm -hmm. I, I highly recommend it for you. And so anytime you have those, you know, uh, lasting uh, muscular inju injuries or structural injuries, um that that active release technique will really really help you yeah i actually did a, a facial massage with one of these guys in hawaii named kimo and he um i went sure with like an hour and a half session and i don't think i've ever felt so loose i mean i got massages thai massages but that was amazing i the way he the way he started putting weight like you said active and he's rotating yep. my arm and the rotation it can go and just slowly getting more motion it was amazing. I walked out of there like, oh, my body feels so loose. It was amazing. So I'm going to actually go and get, I have another session tomorrow. Very good. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. the back of my knees. I did my shoulders, my neck, like a lot of stuff when I was finished that I didn't even know was unbalanced or overdeveloped or damaged. Yeah. I yeah. had everything stripped out, you know, everything top to bottom. And that's why I don't have the, the, the unbalancing and the discomfort uh, today. That's amazing, man. Awesome. So, so Frank, I want to wait one more thing, James. I wanted to ask Frank cool. about you. I noticed you said that um, you don't dream fighting at all, you know. So, for me, you know, people tell me, "Oh, you watch fighting? Do you ever want to fight?" And my straight up answer is, I have no, I have no desire <laughs> to fight. I feel like I've, I've did what I wanted to do. Yeah, and. Yeah. I do not want to fight. I mean, there's, <laughs> I, I don't have that watching fights and say, shit, I want to fight or I want to go into bare knuckle boxing or I want to fight Jake Paul, you know, all these guys are trying to make money. I just, I don't know. I just feel like maybe I, I was wondering what, I feel like I, I trained so hard and I, I pushed myself so hard. I'm satisfied with what I did and I believe I did what I could do and I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm happy. I'm real happy. I'm content. 
I don't feel have that urge at all. Not even a little inkling of it. People ask me, you, I lost a lot of weight. Is oh, are you making a comeback? Is it hell no? <laughs> not even thinking of that. I have no desire. How about you? You're the same way, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Done. But I, it's done. Yeah, it's done. And I think um, you know, every every warrior sort of goes through that that journey, right? And they decide, you know, when it's time. Um, and for me, as soon as it was done, as soon as I made the decision, the dream stopped. Like as soon as I turned off my brain and I was like, we're not going to do this anymore. All the dreams stopped. That's why now it's rare that I have a fighting dream because I, it just it's not in my brain anymore. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, I, you and I got a good feel of it, too. I think we tried our best. We, you know, we we tried all the things we could Um and if you're smart, at the end of your journey, get out before you get too broken. You know, I never really truly wanted to fight. So <laughs> I was always trying to get out of the whole thing, you know, as soon as I could anyways. But yeah, it's yeah, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it's a good place to be in. I mean, having that type of career and, you know, where for me to establish who I am, it's created who I am, created a lot of opportunities for me. And my, I'm, I mean, I'm fucked up, but I still can live normal. You know, my body, I, can, I don't have this range of motion. But if you see me walk around and everything, you don't think any that I'm, I've been a fighter and I got all fucked up. So yeah, it's, a, it's, a, I think it's a good place, and I'm super content, man. I'm just looking forward to the next steps and what I'm doing. Now I'm doing sort of, I gotta, I open like when I saw you in Hawaii, I had that little pop up booth with the braces. Now yeah, I have yeah. my own shop. Yeah, I have my own shop now. And oh no way. Yeah, that's where awesome. I am now. Oh, I love yeah. it. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to come check you out next time I come back. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's great to see how like fulfilled you guys are with your careers, right? Because I think that's the night and day difference that I see from guys from your generation compared to maybe guys who are fighting now, where it's kind of maybe the reasons they go into fighting are a lot different. Um, you know, because the stage is so big now, because the paychecks are so much bigger, when you guys go into it, it was completely different world, right? You know, you, you're going in there because it's something different to do. You want to test yourself. It's all about challenging yourself. Whereas I think a lot of the, the aspirations these days are more sort of financially based. So I think that maybe that says a bit about why you guys feel like you had a much more fulfilling career, I guess, as opposed to trying to write that checks, right? So, um, but yeah, Frank, so much. Thanks so much for um, joining the podcast. Um, one of the things we, you know, we we do, Frank, is we we've kind of been been going through Ensign's career, and obviously today we're looking forward to chat to you about the fight that you guys had at Valley Judo Japan, like '97. Um, but one of the things, the topics that we've covered quite a bit is about when Ensign first came to Japan and what his first impressions were. So I was curious to know what your first impressions were when you went to over to Pancrase in what '94, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. Yeah. yeah so what, what, what did you think? You know, you come off the plane. What was the first sort of things that sort of struck you, I guess? Uh, well, I, yeah, I was I was struck by just the, how busy everything was and, and the precision of things. You know, uh, at that time, I had um, I had never really left the state of California. And then most of my time, you know, I would say by then, uh, you know, I'd already spent you know, 10 years incarcerated. So I had, you know, as much time in the system as I had living outside of the system. Oh, yeah. So uh, Japan was the first time I ever took a plane trip anywhere. And first time I left. yeah, I was in prison. Wow. Yeah, yeah, bro. Really? I didn't know that. I thought you oh, was yeah. a good boy. 
No, no, no. I was a bad boy. Yeah, <laughs> wow, no. I, oh, shit. Yeah, I got out of prison uh, April 5th of 1994, and I started training April 6th of 1994. And then I flew to Japan uh, September, October, in September of 94, uh, while still on parole. Um, wow. And then I had my first match in December. So um, to answer your question, it was, it was a lot of... Uh, it was a lot of feelings because I'd never been anywhere. I'd just never been anywhere. And then the place where I spent the most amount of time was jail. So, yeah. you know, for me, it was, it was, uh, you know, a dream come true. And it was, you know, extraordinary. But it was also terrifying because I, you know, nobody yeah. spoke English. Like it was really, yeah. <laughs> really isolating. And then where we stayed, we stayed in uh, Kanagawaku outside of Shen Yokohama in, you know, the Pancrase building. And, you know, I was basically a high level young boy. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just went in and, you know, served and, you know, tried to follow and figure out what was going on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was I was struck right away by the busyness and the inability to communicate with people, which has never yeah. been a problem. Yeah. And before. the culture is super different, too. Yeah. It's just a very different, you know, yes. lifestyle. And and. Yeah. You know, coming from the lion's den, like, you know, Ken sort of ran it like traditional Japanese style. So mm -hmm. I was familiar with how to train and how to follow directions and kind of what to do there. But outside of the dojo, like I didn't I didn't know what to do at all. I used to ride the uh, I used to borrow a bicycle and ride it down to the subway station and try to talk to people that spoke English. Like that'd be, that, oh, that would be my afternoon. I would ride a bike yeah. down, I would, I'd, I'd hear English and I'd go try to talk to them because I was so lonely and I didn't have anybody to talk to that spoke English. Yep. Yep. So that was it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it was, it was isolating and it was scary, but it, you know, it was, a, it was a great adventure, you know, and, and the um, yeah. Japanese Pancrase group and the young boys were, you know, they were very wonderful to me. They're very welcoming. Yeah, that's, that's cool. crazy. And I guess, you know, you know, when we've talked to other fighters around, you know, when they first gone to Japan, it's kind of been, oh, I came in for this fight. Whereas yours was actually, you went straight into the pancreas system, right? So, yeah. so you, you were almost sleeping where you were training. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I slept yeah. in the dojo. Yeah. I slept wow. in the dojo with the young boys. And I was, you know, I was a, a little higher ranked because I had a fight planned. Okay. And, you know, Ensign knows when you're a young boy, they never tell you you're just a young boy forever until somebody tells you you have a fight and then you become a professional. So because yeah. I already yeah. had one planned, I was a little higher in status. But other than that, I, you know, cleaned the mats and did all the stuff and, wow. you know, I waited for the fighters to come in and, and just, you know, follow directions. Yeah. And uh, James, let me say back in the day, pancreas was the shits. They had oh, yeah. like... Yeah. They had such a beautiful show. I mean, even when I still hear that Pancras song, it gives me that little jitters. Like, I used to always go watch the Pancrases, and they had the Pancras champion, and they had this. I mean, they had a bunch. I mean, like also Frank Boss Luton, Ken Shamrock. I mean, it was like, it was like one of those dreams to, as me before I fought. Like, if I want to fight, I, I would hold. Oh, that'd be like unreal to come out to the pancreas song and be a pancreas fighter you know pancreas was a shit back then man big time oh, yeah. it's changed a lot now but back yeah. in the day not just the fighters they had but the whole production the mm. song the way they did it the uniforms they had that shit down so good 
that it was like a it was a novelty. Pankhurst was a novelty. Yeah, yeah, it was weird how it's kind of like a pro wrestling promotion, right? But it was it was a you know real fight. So no, I think um, Pankhurst was the first one that actually um, had like a pro wrestling type of style, but they were doing some real shit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, Frank, on that note, why you were there? I mean, did you were you able to like watch some of the other promotions like Shuto? I guess I'm kind of you know wondering whether you were able to scout Ensign maybe before you had your Valley Tudor Japan fight. No, uh, uh-uh. no, I never, um, I never even saw this type of fighting before I started training. I didn't, really? I didn't, I didn't, there was no, I, I, I was in prison. They didn't show it in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't have pay-per-view, so I I missed all the stuff. Um, and then when I went to Japan, I mean, I honestly had no idea what was happening at all. And even that there were other leagues, I just, you know, they sent me to Japan. I was like, all right, I'll go. <laughs> so you just basically went with the flow, right? Like whatever they that said you did, you can't. Yeah. 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 I mean, Ensign, apparently you don't know this, but I have 23 felony convictions. And so I've never had a job in my life. I've never, I've never, I've never knew that. Yeah. I've never, I've never did a job interview. I've never experienced any of that because I, I was a criminal until I got out. Are you able to, are you able to touch on like what type of felony convictions? Oh, yeah. You don't need to. Yeah, I was a total criminal. We had stolen cars, grand theft, stolen stuff, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, um, yeah, my very first felony I got when I was 10 years old. And I got it for throwing rocks at a train, which in the state of California is a felony. And so that's started early. Um, But yeah, I didn't, honestly, I had no idea that this even sport was going on. My group home dad, Bob Shamrock, is the one who pitched me on it. And he mm-hmm. told me, like wrestling, only tougher. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. <laughs> what, a, what, a, James, what a success story, huh? What a success story. Look at him now, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, awesome. I read your book, Very Frank, hard, so I kind of well aware yeah. of some of the, you know, the, how, how hard your childhood was, right, as well. Just, just from what the impression I got from your book, and it kind of all makes sense why things happen for a reason, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting the fact that you were in that sort of prism system. Um, you also had the, the experience, right, um, in the Shamrock home, right, where you're kind of, there's probably quite a lot of manual <laughs> work there as well. And then to go be a young boy, it's kind of like from one system to another system to another system, right? So it explains why you, you know, you weren't paying attention to all the other stuff that was going on in the, the MMA world at that time. So um, no, that's awesome. Um, so let's kind of talk about about the the actual fight itself then so leading into it right we as we mentioned ensign was a shooter fighter um yourself frank was you know a pancreas fighter was that a big thing going into the fight in terms of like reception from japanese fans ensign smiling <laughs> there yeah, was I, a huge feud yeah yeah with shooter and pancreas i we are all the groups had their own you know vibe and and you know we we're organically pitted against <laughs> every other group um i think you know because ensign was there and you know was a little closer to it i'm sure it was more you know emphasized in his world um but for me it was really you know i i i had by then seen ensign fight and i'd seen his skill set and 
you know, for me, it was just more of a technical concern because he was bigger than me and stronger than me. And, and some of the uh, skills and techniques that he had were in areas where I wasn't as good at that time. And so I knew, you know, from a technical standpoint, it was just a really tough, you know, tough type fight for me. Yeah. What, what did you hear, Ensign, in terms of, uh, you know, Shuto versus Pancras? Well, there was a, it was a huge thing in Japan about Shuto, Pancras, and they didn't get along. Uh, they didn't like, um, it was like a taboo thing to go train with anybody that's from Pancras. Yeah. Um, I, of course, was not even into that bullshit. So, like, people didn't know it, but Yamada, um, Yam, uh, Manabu Yamada, mm. He came and trained the shooter with me and Kanehara, you know. So I I just didn't I didn't really like that. When I fought Frank, for me, they, they were going off on about Shuto versus Pancras. But for me, I liked Pancras. I thought they were super good fighters. I mean, the rule set was a lot different because they only could do open hand on the ground. So I thought that that might be a handicap for Frank. And to, to, to be to tell you the truth, it was not nothing for me. It wasn't about Shuto Pancras. I, you know, people, the Shuto people would like to put it like instance representing Shuto against Pancras, but it was me against Frank, totally. I mean, of course, yeah, okay, cool. You guys think I won for Shuto. That's cool. But bottom line for me was, uh, you know, I'm challenging and putting myself against Frank Shamrock. And, you know, I, I kind of looked forward to it because I know how, how good he was. I watched all the Pancras stuff. And I just thought that hmm, his ground is probably not as solid as mine. I can probably, you know, I, I can probably get the upper hand on the ground. But I knew he was like a cardio machine. I knew he was in good shape. And, yeah, the, the fact that he was, uh, I think it was like three or four kilos when we went into the fight lighter than me, which is about eight or nine, almost 10 pounds lighter. I thought that would be a big advantage for me too. Nice. And Frank, going into this fight, this this was your first fight away from the Lions, then, right? Um, this was you had I know you had Maurice and TK in your corner, I think. I think. Yeah, I think so. Or one of the first fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <clears throat> how how was sort of going with the transition from moving away from the Lions then to uh, you know your own sort of training training camp? Um, well, it was good in that. You know, I, I one of the reasons I left is, the, you know, the ideas and the train, you know, just it wasn't evolving, you know, from a from a technical standpoint. And so that was a big frustration for me. Um, you know, I was, I was much of a I was very much a fighting nerd. And so yeah, I was really studying the biomechanics. I was really just studying things. And I really you know, we were we were just rehashing the same old stuff. And so, you know, I was happy to be away and studying new stuff. Um, it was hard because, you know, once I left, you know, Ken was like, um, you know, you're with us or you're against us. So I had to leave all my teammates. Wow. Only, only Maurice Smith came as he was on a team and, you know, he was, he was with me. Um, so in that part, it was kind of hard. But uh, by then I'd wandered into the American Kickboxing Academy and, you know, started training over there. And so... You know, that was actually a huge plus because my, you know, my striking wasn't that good at the time. So it became a perfect, you know, opportunity uh, for them and for me. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just, you know, I was just <clears throat> starting to understand striking. 
like literally get just, I was like, oh, I wasn't as nervous anymore. And I was just starting to figure out the mechanics of it when this fight was offered. So it was a great opportunity, but I was still like kind of sketchy on the strike. Awesome. And the the other thing going into this fight um, was the fact that, right, the UFC had said that whoever wins this fight will fight Kevin Jackson for the inaugural UFC middleweight championship. Did the UFC contact both you guys and how, how did they, that work? They contacted me. I don't know if they contacted Frank. Yeah, they told me. I, I, I was aware that, you know, we were fighting for the opportunity. Um, and I think right. Art told me. Um, I can't remember, but yeah, I, I, I knew it was, I knew it was, you know, the winner would be fighting there. Yeah, same for me. Same for me. Yeah. It, yeah. And that was in UFC Japan. And obviously, Frank, you went on to that fight. Um, so let's talk about the fight itself, right? Because uh, to a lot of people, and you might have seen on the comments to the trailer, it's a really historic fight. It's a fight that means a lot to people just because uh, you can see it's it's a real chess match on the ground. But also, the I think the explosions of the striking is really what you know captured people's hearts because you guys are just going absolutely nuts. And it almost feels foreign, I guess, to some of the fights that we see these days sometimes. Um, what, what are your memories of the fight? Um, I remember the first couple of seconds where, where Inton smacks me right in the melon. Um, and I remember <laughs> because um, I, 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 my secret was taking the center of the ring. <laughs> and then I forgot that uh, Inton had did that. <laughs> so I turned around to get ready. And he was already standing there, and then he punched me right in the face. So I remember that vividly, because I was like, <laughs> "He stole my move." He stole uh, and then, uh, <laughs> and then I remember, uh, I remember most through the whole fight, our corners talking to each other, which I thought was <laughs> yeah. yeah, our corners fighting each other was was the funniest part to me. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. Well, you're gonna get that when you have Maurice in your corner. <laughs> oh yeah, Maurice picked out everybody. They had it was two fights going on. It was a verbal battle uh, between the corners, and then Enter and I were going at it. Um, and so that, that that is my the best part. Um, the worst part was. Uh, when I was uh, when when you mounted me and when you like body locked me and folded me over, um, uh, that really hurt my low back. Like it really impinged my low back. So I I was um, I remember the pain of that moment, and then um, I vividly remember you mounting me and and elbowing my head and my brain going, "This might be it. <laughs> this might be where you die." And then I was like. Nah, I don't know about that. So I had a conversation with myself, and then I decided that that wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> but that's yeah, you know, it, it, when you watch the fight, you can see. I don't think a lot of us were thinking. I think we were just trying to survive and win. And you know, there was a lot of um, untechnical and some cool technical stuff. But um, I think what captures people's attention is. You can tell the intention of these two men, and yeah. either one of us was going to stop until one of us fell down. And you know, I'm, you know, thankfully it wasn't me, but one of us was going down regardless. And you could tell. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's so much intensity in that fight. I mean, Ensign, what are your memories of of the fight? Yeah, I remember. Um, 
I remember even the, when I got the mount, it, I didn't feel like I really did anything. I think Frank was kind of putting pressure and kind of on his own, kind of got cut down low. And by some reason, I don't know. I think I, I, I guess the, I had that. It wasn't like I. It was a good technique, or I did something that was that did like you know did it to him. I almost felt like it was a combination of his movement and my movement just at the right time. And then like boom, we yeah. fell into the mountain. So it wasn't like I did something to him. It was it was a timing thing, man. It was one of those things in the MMA that all it takes is that small timing and it'll change stuff. So I think that's what happened. I vividly remember um they had a rule where you couldn't elbow the head or, or something like that. And and yeah. Frank was so smart because every time I try to go, he would put his head on that side and put his head on that <laughs> side. I was like, ah, fuck, I'm like this. And I got a base. I got a base. So I'm literally here. And he puts his head down. I said, fuck. He puts it that side. So I heard, okay, I start elbowing his shoulders. And, you know, I didn't know if it hurt him, but I just felt like, shit, this ain't doing shit. <laughs> so I felt that, I felt that I got to, this isn't going anywhere. And for me, it wasn't about, okay, I'm going to control the whole round and win the round. I was like, I want to finish him. So I'm like, okay, I got to take chances. And I figured if I open up, then I can have more space to throw punches. And I knew that if I opened up, he had a chance to create space and move. And so I, I felt, you know, worst scenario, he gets up and we stand. Big deal. Let's do it, you know? So that's why I opened up. And of course, I wasn't, I didn't want to let him out, but I opened up to get strikes. And then as soon as he spun and got out, the thing I felt real insecure about is Pancras has under leg locks. And he grabbed my ankle and I was like, fuck that, you ain't touching my ankle. I, <laughs> I remember kicking out, kicking out, and, and, and then we started standing again. Yeah. But vividly in the fight, I remember in the first round, there's two things that I re really remember that I learned a lot on is one, when I, you know, in jujitsu, we lock up the both arms. But Frank did this thing where he tucked his head down, put it in my solar plexus, and the tighter I held, the more pressure I put on my solar plexus. Like almost like it feels like it's gonna crack my ribs. So although in jujitsu that was a good lock because we controlled both arms, when he did that, put his head right into my solar plexus, I had to release it because with my tightness, he had so much leverage to dig his head into my stomach that it, it really hurt. So I had to let go. So that was one thing that I, I was taught was unreal. I, I even like show that in my seminars now because it's a super awesome technique that I learned from Frank in the fight. <laughs> and then the other thing I remember is when I was at the end of the round, when I was on the bottom, he was kicking my feet. And people don't notice today, but that shit hurts. Hurts. <laughs> I acted, I acted like nothing, but it's like your fucking toes hit each other, and it like he kicks your feet, and it's like it hurts. So I was like, I felt it. I was like, fuck this. I thought this was a good position. You stand on the bottom and kick him at his knees, and I was like, he's kicking my feet, and it's hurting like shit. I'm like, this isn't a good position. So I opted to try and, you know, heal the, his foot, figuring I could break his foot. And I ended up actually getting uh, fractures in my heel from oh. that. Yeah. Later wow. on, I when when I after the fight was done, I uh, I felt a lot of pain in my heels. And when I went to the doctors, I had fractures in my heel from that. <laughs> that's how adamant I was about breaking his feet when I laid that heel on his foot. So I was trying to aim for his foot, 
but I don't. I didn't hit it once. He just he just was moving it out of the way, and I was pretty much healing the the ring, like with full force. I was I wasn't even thinking of my heel. I was thinking, I was imaging my heel hitting his foot, and touching those little bones that go to every toe. You know, <laughs> shattering that. That's what I was saying. Shattering it. So of course, when you're thinking of shattering something, you're not gonna just go and say, oh, just a little bit. I'm going full force. Boom! With it, if you watch the fight, you can hear my heels hitting the mat. Boom. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a time in that fight that I thought, "Shit, I'm worried." Because after the first round, I was like, "Okay, we got second round now." Okay, <laughs> okay, we'll go at it again, you know. And I remember um, towards the end of the fight, I did start feeling a little labored. And he started coming, he started putting pressure. And I think Frank Munda knew it because I already had, I was like resting on the ropes already. And he kept coming and he kept coming. I was trying to throw knees, but it was really like, he was pushing me back. So my knees had no leverage. I mean, as you know, in knees, when you when you play Muay Thai and they throw knees, if you give them a little shove and they go off balance, it takes all the power in the knees. And, you know, that happened. And, you know, I just thought, I knew I was in trouble. I thought, fuck it. I'm just going to do what I can till he, if I go down or, or if I get a lucky shot. And it, it came down to that. And I don't really, really remember it much, but I, I know he hit me with a good knee. And that rocked me. And then after that, I remember being on the ground. So I, I when I watched the video, I think he hit me with a knee and then he hit me with a right cross. And that's when I went down. And all I remember after that is people coming in and jumping on the ring. And I mean, I know I saw my two New Zealand sparring partners in there. And, you know, it was like chaos, you know, chaos. Yeah. But for me, I I can't be hypocritical because not just because I was in that situation. I always hated the 10 count rule for um, MMA. I thought it was really unfair that you could be on the ground, mounted somebody, and you hurt them on the mount punches, but they don't break you to give you a 10 count. So why should they give you a 10 count or an 8 count when you get knocked down standing up when it's an MMA fight? So in the rules in that one was you get an 8 count. And with the momentum of the fight, when I fell, Frank jumped on me and started hitting me. And I think it was because Egan ran in the ring because he wasn't stopping and and it became a DQ, but I said this in all my podcasts or whoever questioned me that it wasn't a DQ. DQ. Those, those rules suck <laughs> for me. I it was, a, it was, I got knocked out. It was, I mean, for me, the real fight is you hurt the guy on the ground. You can jump on him and hit him. And if that happened, um, he probably would have hurt me more. I mean, he would have probably landed a few solid punches and I probably would have been doing the Usman. <laughs> too soon. That's too soon. Too soon. Too soon, bro. <laughs> but you know, although I lost that fight, that's one of my that's one of my great memories in my career. Cause that was the first time the striking wise, I wasn't afraid and and shot for a takedown like I did with all my other fights. I felt I mean I I wasn't winning the striking. It was very bad technique on my part, but the 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 feeling I had of just letting it all out and not even worried about getting hit and just trying to hit him, you know, that for me was like 
a big game changer for my whole career and whole, for me as a person. Like, wow, that was, I mean, outcome, you know, you know how people say, uh, yeah, if I only could have won that fight. I don't feel that way. I think I would not change anything in that fight. I mean, we let it all out. I got hit. I, I lost. He was a better man that night. And that's, I love who I am now. I love what I have now. I love everything about what I, the man that I've become. And I believe every instant in my career is a part of that. And losing to Frank, getting knocked out by Frank is a part of that too. And if I want to change that, I want to, it's almost saying that I'm not satisfied with who I become because I believe Frank's fight was something super huge in my life that helped not mold me as a fighter, but as a man. So, you know, I mean, shit, that's like one of my greatest memories. And I, I watched that fight and I don't feel an inch of fuck. Not at all, man. It's I watch it and say, man, shit. Whoa, I got hit. Whoa, that was a nice knee. Oh, shit, right cross. Damn. You know? Yeah. How do you how do you value that fight, Frank, compared to some of the other fights that you've had? Um, it, I, I always say, for me, um, besides the technical stuff, which, you, you know, watch the fight, technical stuff, um, you know, for me, it, it, I crossed this imaginary barrier, which I, I hadn't known I'd created for myself. <clears throat> always went in and I committed to, you know, giving my all and I never really was worried about, you know, losing or getting hurt or, you know, even dying, to be honest with you. But in that fight, after he mounted me, you know, there was one moment, like I, like I said, where I was like, I think this is it. You know, I think this is it. And not like it, like I'm going to lose, like this is it where another man is going to beat me to death. And, I I said, yeah, I'll I'll follow that path, and I committed to it. But this was the first time anybody made me question it. And first, my first answer to myself was, yeah, this is it. And then I was like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And so for me, this fight still is the one where I took that huge mental leap, and I realized, you know, a. I can do this commitment, which means I'm ready to show up and die and so be it. And then, you know, the second one was that I truly meant it because, you know, <laughs> everyone means it until, <laughs> until yeah. they're there. And then they have yeah. the question and, you know, asked of them. And, you know, what you see of me getting off the bottom is me going, nope, it's not going to happen today. And making that, that, that conscious decision. So it was huge for me spiritually and, psychologically to be shown that moment and then to accept it and move forward. And I think, yeah, instant, I feel the same way, man. It was life-changing for me to, you know, to put it out there with you and have that experience um, and win or lose, like, you know, the, the results were the results, but, you know, you took me to a place that I'd never been before and made me ask the question of myself. And no, at that point, nobody had ever done that to me. You know, and so, you know, the the ability to step over that line and then look back afterwards, that was invaluable to me. And it made, you know, the rest of my career very enjoyable because I was no longer afraid, you know. Oh, same with me. You know, you know, what's real amazing. Yeah, you got guys in there. I mean, for for me, I'm like, Frank, I wasn't looking like a sport. It was um, literally, you know, people say it now. And like Frank said, they, they feel the fire and all of a sudden they change their mind. But it was for me, kill or be killed. Yeah, I'm in there, and he's gonna kill me. I'm gonna kill him. And I'm not using that words just to emphasize the sport. I'm, I'm literally saying that that 
I was willing to die. And to be willing to die, you got to be willing to kill somebody. And I was willing to kill him. And if I could, by all means, I would. And the fact that he, I didn't is because I didn't have the capability and his defense or whatever it was, he was a better fighter that night. And what's amazing is um, you look at the fight and the amazing thing is I don't think you see this much in uh, MMA nowadays, but if you look at that instant after the fight when we have our foreheads on each other and we're like just like, you know, grimacing onto the ground and kind of like, I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like, damn, we gave it our all, you know I mean? We put everything on the line and, you know, as a man, how can you be, how can you even regret the outcome? I mean, people nowadays is all about winning and losing. And for me, it's about growth as a person. And for me, after that fight, I, I didn't even feel that, you know, that I did, I did feel that the instant knowing that day wasn't enough and maybe I should have been, shouldn't have rested certain days. Maybe I should have pushed harder in training. I did feel that way as far as like, ah, damn. But as far as the outcome, even today, I, I just feel like it was a total victory. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we gave it we gave it our all. And just because my all wasn't better than his all that day, it doesn't mean anything at all. It, it just means that he was a better person that day. And, I mean, as a person, as a man, like like Frank said, it was life-changing for me. It was totally life-changing. And that's one of those, those fights that... I'm really flattered that fans always bring that fight up as like one of the wars that would, that was amazing, you know. And it takes two to tangle, you know. I wouldn't couldn't have done it by myself, and I couldn't have done it with Frank if he wasn't willing to give it his all and fight like a fucking warrior. And it was just the fact that we were both there, we had enough technical ability to match each other, and we both were there to give it everything we got. And like he said, he had that moment where he's like, "Fuck, I might die," and he said. I'm gonna fight, and that's huge, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I gotta ask though, because we were talking obviously where the fans love the fight, how it was so intense. But there's a moment in the fight, right, where you guys <laughs> laugh. <laughs> <laughs> what happened there? Because <laughs> our corners were fighting and having <laughs> verbal arguments. And, you know, the whole arena is silent except for our two corners yeah. who are just involved in this this burying match. Um, and it had gotten so elevated that it's all I could hear. I couldn't hear anything else. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're going back and forth. And I think at one moment we, we had the same thing. Like, these guys are knuckleheads. And I could – so I looked up and I just couldn't help but laugh because it was so ridiculous. <laughs> that you know but that was part of you know maurice's strategy and part of our you know strategy was to you know intercept confused you know bother you know all that stuff sort of weighs on you when you're trying to fight for life and death so yeah, yeah. I, I i i definitely remember that because that was the weirdest moment i've ever yeah. had in fight it <laughs> <laughs> was you know the thing james is the japanese crowd is silent yeah. So you can hear the corners so clear talking to each other. <laughs> I think I think that actually my dad actually chimed in with Maurice because you know for me it, I mean for me it didn't bother me because it was the shit Maurice was saying was actually pretty funny. Like he's <laughs> getting tired or he doesn't like that or he's like yeah he I mean, he was saying 
I, I don't recall, but I remember it being stuff like, yeah, I knew straight ahead that, you know, Maurice was Maurice and he's going to get in someone's head. And he was trying to get in my head and the corner's head. And he definitely got into my corner's head. And I remember, yeah, yeah that, that was just almost like inside of me. I was having a little chuckle and I, I don't know. I just one time when I'm looking down and I have both base on my hand, I'm looking down and Frank looked up at me. And we kind of looked at each other and we met eyes and it just like, we just, I just started laughing too. It was weird, man. Cause in the midst of trying to kill somebody that, that, that just came in just a wave of like humor came into like, fuck, this is fucking funny. <laughs> it was funny. Cause Maurice was, cause every time your corner would say something, Oh, Oh, you're hurting him. You're hurting him. And then Maurice would go, he loves that. He loves it. When yeah. he <laughs> Maurice is Maurice is such a character. I love that guy. He's so awesome. He's, he's I mean, he's one of those guys you want to just fucking punch him in the face because he has such a mouth. But then you, you know what he's doing, and he's being a he's smart, and he, he just. I mean, how can you not love that? I mean, <laughs> that was so hilarious, Maurice. I actually yeah, went I and trained with him later, later yeah. on before I fought Mark Kerr. I went to uh, train there because. I knew he had a good system. You know, Frank was in so good shape. And I was like, you know, I got to venture out and try some of that, you know, because I've been I've been training myself all that time. And he put right. me on the treadmill with the cycles with, to do some swimming. And, I mean, those are the stuff that Maurice was kind of sort of ahead of his time in that sense where he really had a real good system on getting in good shape. And Frank's a freaking product of that, you know. <laughs> yeah, Maurice was, was way ahead of his time in the vascular yep. training striking uh and in fact uh uh you did the swimming with maurice right <laughs> he did swimming yeah. so i've never quit a training session in yeah, six years except for one time when maurice <laughs> had me swimming and he brings in this guy he's like hey you're gonna swim against this guy today i go oh, oh nice guy right who's this guy he was a, a brazilian water polo player and oh so, god yeah yeah you, you just got to beat him and you're good right <laughs> so i'm like drowning this guy's swimming laps around me and he's like come on frankie come on you can do it and finally i just stood up and i go maurice i'm not a good swimmer and i'm quitting he's like oh you're gonna quit your training huh you're gonna quit huh he like, does that he does that all the way out of the building it's the only time i've ever quit was in that <sighs> And he teased me like a, like a little like a little kid. He's oh, you're gonna quit, huh? Yeah. I thought you were a world champion, huh? You're gonna <laughs> walk out of your training, huh? <laughs> In a nutshell, James, that's Maurice. Yeah. <laughs> he sounds like a good guy to get you trained, but also have a laugh with, right? That's kind of what yeah, you yeah. Like. He's a good such guy. a grueling sport. You kind of need that, I imagine. Just you know, you need to have that sort of someone to have a laugh with as well. So that's really cool. Um, <laughs> Moving forward then, Frank, so obviously, you know, you win this fight, it basically catapults your career, right? Because you go, you you know, you win the middleweight championship uh, in the UFC, you defend it a number of times, you then, you know, have the big fight with Tito, uh, you beat Tito, uh, you then retire, right? And what I was always curious about, I know you had the, the K1 fight, but was there ever an offer from Pride? Um, yeah, I, I eventually got an offer from Pride. Um, you know, by the time I was at that phase, 
you know, I'd become a free agent. That's how, you know, retiring mm-hmm. after fighting Tito was how I got out of my contract. That's why that retirement clause is there and no one else can do it. Um, but that was how I became a free agent. And then once I became a free agent, I really understood my value. Like I was, you know, I got a real good mentor and entertainment lawyer and I kind of had everything laid out. Um, so when pride came, you know, my, my sole focus was fighting Sakuraba. Like I was like, listen guys, you know, oh, that would have been super, so good. Yeah. I'm like, I'm a super athlete. I'm the best in the world. I don't, I don't want to do a freak show. I just want to fight Sakuraba. And mm-hmm. so that became my goal for a long time. And we went back and forth for gosh, almost over two years wow. and we couldn't, I couldn't get his name on a contract with my name. And really? so it, yeah, yeah. At the end of it, I just gave up and I moved on to other stuff. But yeah, for two, two and a half years, we negotiated with them and tried to get it, wow. you know, and I only wanted Sock Rob. I didn't, you know, there was no one else I was interested in fighting. So, yeah, that that fight was, as it says, would have been huge because at the time, obviously, when you retired against Tio, you were pretty much known as like the pound for pound best fighter. And then obviously Sakuraba comes in. So, oh man, yeah, that's a, it's a shame. It that, that's happen. one fight that really the MMA world lost out on not happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah, had a graphic a, match, yeah. right? So. <laughs> not the so same. You, not the same, but yeah. But yeah, no, I know I know what you mean. That, uh, it's a shame. I, I even wanted to see that. When I heard that rumors going around, I yeah. wanted to see that. I was like, hell, that'd be freaking awesome. Yeah. I, of course... Because I lost to Frank, I also I thought that no, Frank would um, overcome Sakuraba's awkwardness. You know, Sakuraba is, uh, has a real awkward style where he he doesn't have really good jujitsu, but he gets out of shit, and he just so happens to last. And he has a you know different leg lock techniques. And the fact the thing with Sakuraba, he is so calm in there that he's so his mind is so fresh that he's thinking a lot. He he he's and he's he doesn't have that anxiety affecting his movements anxiety doesn't affect his stamina at all and that's what made him so good so yeah so if you have him and frank fight damn that would have been so awesome man i mean that that is something that the mixed martial arts world is, has lost out on and that's one of those fights you know almost yeah. like fedor and randy couture in their peak you know it, it's yeah. i think it's a, even bigger than that that we missed out on yeah, definitely. I think uh, there was the Sakuraba and Hickson fight everyone went to see, and then Sakuraba and Shamrock, right? Was it, you know, definitely would have been awesome. Um, now switching gears, kind of a little bit, Frank. So this is a topic that sort of has come up quite recently. So Ensign obviously mentioned he does the you know the bracelet shop in Hawaii, but one of the other things he does is he trains a fighter. He, his fighter is um, Siyoshi Sudario, who's a former sumo wrestler, and you know he's doing very well. But what's quite interesting is his brother. His uh, twin brother has just joined the sport and uh, they they don't exactly get along the best do the ensign and all the Japanese fans are talking about is whether we will ever see the brother versus brother. You can kind of get where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> what I'm curious was, was, was there ever a point where it was close where you were going to fight your adopted brother, Ken, because there was always looked like it may happen, but was it something you were ever seriously considering exploring? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I uh, first it was just a, a crazy idea, but then it kind of gained some some nice, you know, momentum. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I I took it to CBS when we had Strikeforce on CBS, so we were pretty serious about it. Um, 
and you know, I got as far as him on a contract. Um, but we just weren't able to close it. And then by the time I got him on, you know, by the time I got an agreement, uh, he did that fight on, um, what was it? Showbox, the, the strike force elite, elite XC or whatever it was. And he ended up losing to kind of a no name guy. Mm-hmm. And then that, that kind of lost the steam out of it. But yeah, I worked uh, on that for a couple of years. Um, and for two reasons, you know, we, the first one was for money, you know, it was a very lucrative opportunity. Um, and then the second one, you know, him and I were beefing at the time and I didn't really know another way to get through it except for, for us to fight each other. Cause that's sort of how we grew up and, you know, got to this place. Um, but yeah, that's honestly, I, I would have loved to fight Sakuraba and I would have loved to have put that fight together. Cause that would have, I think been a game changer for the sport itself. That would have been another epic fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> story, epic, the story it, is it, so good, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's ever happened, right? Brother versus brother. And that's why, instant, you know, we, we, we've talked about it before on the podcast in the sense that it doesn't look like it's going to happen, but it's just one where uh, people are savages. It intrigues them, right? Brother versus brother. Well, well so. in, a, in a way, in a way, Rising is still run by the same people who ran Pride. And as you know, yeah. Pride loves that circus show. And they are pushing it. Mm. They've already come up. They've already mentioned it. Um, the brothers hate each other. Oh. And, yeah, they hate each other with, like, a passion. And, you know, my fighter, Sudario, he's pretty much, like, um, doesn't think his brother has a chance with him because he's been so way ahead of the game now. But for me, I look at it like – I. You know, I still see fighting as something about a life journey. And I don't think, you know, you know, Frank and Ken, they're adopted brothers, you know. These guys are real brothers. They're twins. They're they're identical twins, even wow. further than brothers. Yeah. And I just see it as the, the mother. The mother is such a sweet lady, and I just oh, think man. she just turned. She would just hate that. And I, I just cool. don't think. I would could I could back something like that, knowing how much it'll hurt his their mothers. And although I think, yeah, my fighter would probably beat his brother up at this moment. I don't know about later, but at this moment. But the funny thing is the difference between what I used to be like and what my fighter is like. He's all about the money. So if I, I believe if the Rising Association offers him enough money he would take it and you know i'm his coach i'm not his manager so if he wants to fight him and he decides i would might you know so you know in a very subtle way tell him maybe that's not a good idea because of your mother but if he opts still to take it you know of course we're gonna i'm gonna support him and train him for it but like you know it's not totally off the wall james it's actually something that i'd say at this moment right now is almost like a um 60% chance not happening and 40% chance of it happening. It's actually that high. It's a 40% wow. chance. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, fighting with your family is. Who's, who's you know. training the, the other brother? Kosaka. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is the thing. Um, Sudario, so my fighter, is super disciplined. He's had a, a year head start. The other thing is the two brothers are are, are super athletes. They, they were top basketball players. They went into sumo. And 
they have they're not just sumo guys that retired like Akebono and you know these other guys that came into fight. They were at their peaks when they left sumo. They both had got into trouble. They both got kicked out of sumo, so they were still at their peaks. The other thing is the brother in all the sports in basketball and in sumo has a lot more talent than Tsuyoshi. I mean Tsudario, my fighter. So he, he is going to be someone that will propel higher. Hmm. The other thing is Sudario has discipline. The brother doesn't. It's almost like me and Egan. When me and when I did sports, I would excel better than Egan because I had more athletic talent, I think. I mean, it sounds fucking corny of me saying it about myself, but I feel I did excel faster than Egan. But Egan's discipline, that guy was like a freaking monster. He would just excel. I mean, his discipline, like racquetball, I got the best I got as the number 20 in the world. He went to number one. I mean, number one in the world. You know, I mean, it's like his. I, I felt I was a better athlete, but he had way more discipline. He he became a lot better. And I think Sudario's younger brother has that. So, I mean, that's why I said I emphasize he could beat him now. And yeah. when, when he, you know, Kosaka knows his shit. He gets, he gets a guy training right. He has enough time. That, that would be a scary fight for Sudario. So, <laughs> you never know <laughs> you never know right it's japan never anything know. can happen so. yeah. um, on that though Frank, you did kind of uh say that you know the shamrock versus shamrock would have been huge for the sport and you're a guy right that did everything possible to you know try and make mma as mainstream as you can you know you went to new york you tried to do the campaign to get it legalized there um I want to really get your opinion on what you think of today's version of MMA because it now is more popular than ever, right? But you obviously have quite, a, you know, a, a feuded history with the UFC, shall we say? Um, but I'm curious to know what what's your current opinions on what you see in the MMA world today? Um, that's a tough one because I don't watch it. So I really no wow, yeah, don't watch the sport. Wow. Don't follow it. No Don't participate. I imagine it's the same as when I left it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it feels different. If I'm honest, I mean, the yeah. UFC right now, yeah. and a lot of people have sort of said this, feels more and more like a, a business more than ever, um, especially since they were purchased by um, Endeavor. It just kind of feels like, you know, sometimes that we're, it's not as fun as maybe it was in the, in the past where, um, you know, there's, there's different promotions. It's definitely, it's pretty much the UFC and everyone else is trying to, you know, scratch and claw some crumbs. Put it that way. <laughs> um, but that's interesting that you don't watch it anymore. Was there a particular moment where you felt like, mm, this just isn't for me anymore? No, I mean, when I retired and made the decision that I wasn't going to fight anymore, then it became, am I still going to teach and train? And mm -hmm. then, so I had to make a decision on that. And I realized I didn't want to teach or train anymore. And then once I got out of those two things, I was like, well, why am I watching it on TV if I'm not going to train and teach? So I just stopped watching it on TV. Plus, my girl was little and she didn't she had no interest in watching people in a cage beat each other up. So <laughs> I just slowly stopped watching it. And now that I don't because I, I don't watch television either. So, you know, 
Uh, it just doesn't happen in my life. With that said, I still use all the stuff that I learned. I still use all the martial arts principles in my businesses, in my leadership. And, um, you know, we're launching a brand new business in the last quarter of this year that is for corporate leadership and uh, corporate management. But it's all martial arts and it's everything that I learned from my martial arts journey. And you'll like this, Ensign, we're using bare knuckle boxing as our medium for communication and for our team building exercises. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> well, funny enough, all the mechanics and requirements of bare knuckle boxing are the same as good leadership. Communication skills, distance, when to do what, how to do it, why to do it. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, so we use the medium of bare knuckle boxing to bring people together in a group setting, and we let them. We teach them all the basic techniques, and we teach them why they're important and how that translates into good leadership. And so, yeah, we use bare knuckle boxing to change the corporate leaders of tomorrow. Wow, <laughs> Frank! Frank is like the perfect guy of what you should do in your life. You know, get what you can out of fighting, leave it. Don't waste time watching it, and, and, you, and you know, I mean, it's like it's everything that everybody should be doing but doesn't do. Like I'm a, I'm like a huge fan now. I just watch every single fight, and I, like Frank though, I w I had the same thing. I was burnt out on fighting. I, when I retired, I didn't train. I didn't even teach. The only reason I started getting into teaching is my the my wife decided she wanted to try and fight. She's 20 years younger than me, so she she wanted to fight. So I figured, okay, um for you I'll just train you. My gyms that I have, I don't even I didn't even teach there. I had my students teach it. So I was kind of where that point where I just I was done, man. I was done with fighting. And what pulled me back in was my wife having wanting to train and uh one of the one of my ex sumo classmates that was a sumo wrestler asked me to train that guy Sudario and that's what brought it in and it sparked the interest, I think, that I, I already had, but I was burnt out on. And, you know, coaching's a lot different because you go in there and you tell them what to do and you don't need to do it, you know. So it's a big <laughs> difference where mentally and, you know, mentally and in my heart, I don't need to prepare. Like before my training, I knew I was going to push as hard as I could. And I had I needed, I needed prep. I needed mental prep. I needed my prep in my heart to prepare to push as hard as I can in that day. And when it's a repetitive thing every day, it's super hard emotionally to do. So that's the thing I, I do enjoy about coaching is you don't really have to do it. I'll jump in some rounds when they do when we're bull ringing them, you know, like and then I, you got like a couple minutes in with them. I'll do that. But I, I, I do want to care for my body. So I don't want to push it too hard because I know my personality. I was, I'll, if I'm in the middle of the round and I tweak my knee, I'm probably going to still finish the round. And I wouldn't want to do that to my body. But, yeah, I mean, when I hear Frank say that, I'm like, shit, I would like to think that if my wife didn't come into play, I would probably be in that same lines. You know, I mean, I believe what I when I hear him say that and the fact that he doesn't watch TV, I'm like, fuck, that's so perfect. That's what you should be doing. That's what everybody should do. That's the problem. And then he's using all his knowledge from fighting into something more productive. I mean, and, you know, nowadays, you know, Rose Gracie is bringing out that post-traumatic syndrome thing where people are getting, like, brain trauma from fighting. 
and you see, you know, before back in the day, you see little kids duking it out, and I'm you think that that's pretty cool, but Rose points out that that's trauma on the brain already. I mean, I think I'm lucky because, well, I don't think I have any trauma in the brain. <laughs> I feel I'm pretty normal, but, you know, a lot of guys, like, you know, I went to this uh, thing, Frank. Uh, it was a, uh, um, uh, it was a, uh, um, the Legends of MMA. Mm -hmm. And I, when I went there, Yabro was there, Gary Goodrich, Brian Johnston, Mark Coleman, Butterbean, uh, um, uh, who's that? Um, Dan Severin, you know, all those guys are there, but Frank, there was not a single person that was healthy. Yarbrough died two years later. Gary Goodrich can't remember a lot of stuff. Mark Coleman couldn't even walk, he had he was in the midst of getting um hip replacement. Yeah, I mean, all these guys, Brian Johnson, of course, we know he had a stroke. So all these guys, when I looked at it, I, 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 before that whole thing, I felt sorry for myself. I can't lift my shoulder. I can't do this. But when I went there, I was like, man, I was one of the healthy guys. I was one of the healthy guys. And um, uh, what's his name? Oh, shit, I can't believe his name. Who, who was that? Fuck, I can't believe I forgot his name. The guy Don? who fought. Uh, yeah, Don Fry. Yeah. Don Fry, I mean. His shoulders are like Jack 10 times worse than mine. He, when we were on the mat doing a seminar, he wanted me to put my one foot on his neck, one foot on his flats, and he wanted me to pull his arm as hard as I could. <laughs> and I'm pulling it, and as you could feel, like, I don't know if it's scar tissue, but you hear, pop, 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 pop. He was a little harder, a little harder. I'm like, fuck, I can't pull any harder. <laughs> and then I pull it, and it does a huge pop. And he's like, ah, yeah, that fucking feels good. And I'm like, holy shit, his arms, his shoulders are so screwed up. And I just walked away from that, from that um, Hall of Fame thing. I mean, that uh, MMA um, fight, the the you know the old school guys. And I felt like, fuck, I'm the young puppy, and I'm in good shape, man. And then I see Frank, I'm like, fuck, I'm not in good shape. <laughs> <laughs> Oh damn! Well, at least we know Frank's secret now. It's no TV like that. That's it, right? That's yeah. to cut it out, and we'll work and on the. You know, my other secret, which which is, if I go into a martial arts studio, I will hurt myself. Oh, you know I'm, that about yourself. I yeah. know that. I know for a certain that I will, and I only know because I when I did my book tier tier got a tour. It's been like six years now. Um, I was doing a signing at a school and I, you know, I hadn't wrestled for, I don't know, five years or something at that point. And I, you know, I do a little teaching, we do a little fellowship and then, you know, all the black belts come in and they're like, Hey, do you want to wrestle? And I go, yay. So I wrestle all the black belts, <laughs> which, you know, goes great for about six and a half minutes. And then at the six and a half minute point, my body tells me it's going to start throwing up. So I go, oh, no. I went from zero to a thousand and so I stop wrestling. I go, hey, do you have a bathroom? I got to use the bathroom. And I think I'm going to throw up. And everybody's laughing. Oh, ha, ha, look how funny he is. And so I'm like, no, no, I really need to use the bathroom. I ended up throwing up all over this guy's studio <laughs> everywhere. Because <laughs> I couldn't get to the bathroom in time. And then in the bathroom, I'm laying on the ground and I can't move because I just traumatized my body. It took me almost an hour uh -huh. 
to get off the bathroom floor because I went so hard so fast that I just totally traumatized myself. And so since that point, I went, you know what? As long as I don't go into these places, I seem to be just fine. (laughs) (laughs) You stay away. That's good. It's safer for everybody. Yeah. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. (laughs) One of the things I've got to say, right, um, before we start to wrap up this episode is that, you know, you guys inspired a whole generation of fighters. But what I think is really cool is the fact that, you know, you guys are in your 50s now, but you're still inspiring people because, you know, the different charity work both you guys have done um, is awesome. I mean, obviously, Ensign, you did all the the stuff for the, the tsunami back then when it happened. And Frank, I even saw recently, you know, you were out in Poland, right? Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about that, about what you've done in, in terms of like with the Ukraine war that, uh, that's going on right now. For sure. Yeah. Well, a lot of our board members are pretty, you know, uh, substantial real estate people and um, in New York City. And, you know, they were really wanting to help. But, you know, when you watch this thing on TV and you see what's going on, it's it's kind of hard to understand where the need is because uh, there's such a big need. So uh, we decided to fly over there, see for ourselves and see what's going on, how we could be, you know, best of service. And, you know, when we got there, what we were most stricken by was, you know, Ukrainians don't want to leave their country. You know, they don't want to leave. You know, they they want to go home. They want to stay there. And if you're a family there and you have kids there in school, you know, all, everybody, all those people have been forced to leave. And so we saw mothers, grandmothers, you know, teenagers, you know, all just girls and a few young boys just with no place to go and no desire to leave. So there was plenty of people helping. But the help is you jump on a bus they fly you to Italy and you're living with an Italian family, you know, in the country, in the, in the countryside. Um, so we met a lot of families who wanted to stay. And we realized that the best impact we could do over there and deploy our resources was for the families who wanted to stay. And so we have about six, seven families now who came across. We've got a place for them to live. We helped set them up and we got them resources for, you know, six to nine months in hopes that in that time, they'll be able to go back to their country. And that's where we felt our biggest, you know, um, we felt the biggest need was there. And we did everything. We went to the borders. We, you know, we did the crossing, the medical stuff. Like we really saw as much as we could of the situation. And it's just, it's just fascinating because, you know, they just want to go home and there's no Mm -hmm. place for them to go. And everything, full and there's no resources and, and you know we were real thankful that we could deploy some resources get some places and you know just take care of these families while they wait you know they're just waiting kids are still trying to go to school like everybody's still trying to live only they can't live in their own country yeah that's awesome wow. little yeah. little reality check on us taking things for granted here huh no <laughs> doubt man and and when you see how they're fighting this war, it's in old pickup trucks and minivans. Like it is, you know, it, it just, they're doing it, everything humanly possible with a, with a tiny amount of resources and they're not giving up, you know, they're just, they're just doing it. But to see, you know, to see the women and children and then to talk to them, cause they don't, you know, they'll tell you, I just want to go home. 
you know, we just want to go home, but we can't. So that, that to me Props, was man. yeah, super impactful. Props for yeah. what you're doing, man. Props yeah, for thanks. what you're doing, man. Right on, I mean, the war, what, we're like six months in and the war is still, still happening, right? Um, I can't believe it's still going on, man. Damn. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't, guys, I don't see an end to it. And when you look at the resources these guys have, mm-hmm. you know, they have, they have nothing and they're fighting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I remember a while ago, Frank, when your Instagram, I think you put up something uh, about how people could help and like donate. Is that still available if we, we could put it in the comments or something like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're still yeah. doing donations and you can donate to a specific family or if you like, or to our general fund. Um, you can do that at uh, shamrockway.org. And yeah, it, um, yeah, we're still supporting these families and, you know, we may accept more. Uh, depending what the need is yeah oh, that's awesome it's really yeah like i said right it's so on, cool to see know. you know legends like yourself still helping out i mean even ensign your old dance partner eagle volchanchian he's there like on the front lines right he's there like fighting in the war so it's really cool to see that you you know you guys as fighters are just built a different way in terms of you guys see a problem and you just want to help out so it's uh it's it's, it's great to see that inspiration carry on even after your careers are over so yeah, well, I just wanted to, um, you know, express my my gratitude to Frank. You know, I mean, for the fight, for for not just for the fight, but for the energy and for the warrior spirit that he brought to the fight. Because without that, I wouldn't have been able to fight the way I fought with him. And I needed someone that wasn't going to bend or wasn't that wasn't going to break to me. If he did break on that time I mounted and he gave up and you know did did a lot of things that fighters do nowadays when they hit that wall where they're thinking fuck I might die and cover up and let the referee stop it I would have lost so much about that I would have got the victory but I would have lost so much that I've gained through what transpired after that incident when he was in that mount thinking that something it was might be over the fact that he pushed helped made me push to my limit and I mean it sounds weird because to thank him because he was doing it to do what's best for him. But I mean, in a real roundabout way, it, it, it was one of the, you know, the life changing things in my, my life that regardless if it's about MMA or not, I mean, I just wanted to express that, you know, gratitude about, you know, being the warrior was and, and the gratitude for the universe for putting us together at that time. Frank, is there anything you, you want to promote before uh, we let you get out of it? Um, no, but if you want to do something good today, just pick up a random piece of trash and throw it in the trash, please. Mother Earth would greatly appreciate that. We all have two hands, so put one of them to work today. That would be super helpful. Awesome. I love that. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, uh, everyone, for watching, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for taking the time, buddy. All right, man. That was a fucking awesome episode, man. Thank you. Thanks to Frank for uh, spending the time. And um, wow, amazing. Um, that's now the my fight with Frank is even more epic to me. Well, anyway, thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and share. Right on.